Football Friday with Wolf and Luke. Let's go! Presented by 72 Sold. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Watching the craziness unfolding around the world of sports here on these TVs during the break, Wolf. You got the, the highlights of uh, Baker bringing the Rams back. You've got Brazil scoring an extra time and then losing somehow anyway to Croatia. They just showed like the country of Croatia. <laughs> They're just tearing everything just down. To absolutely light and burned couches. Yeah, that's pretty much what they. That's were what they doing. do in West Virginia, by the way. Yeah. They they light it up. They throw the fire onto the couch. Let's burn this, mother. Just because or to celebrate? Oh, that's to celebrate. Oh. That's what they do. Yeah. Burn some couches. Porch furniture, if you know what I right mean. Here. By the way, this song right here, it rocks. <laughs> yes. Oh, you want to play in a football game? You want to get ready to play in a football game? This is football. This song right here, Luke, is football. Because it has the ebb and the flow. Because you get in a huddle and you'll bring it down suddenly, right? If nobody's yelling at you. Hey. It became evident at some point in there that you and I were really talking to each other. We were waiting for the uh, for, for the song right to change. Just hit the post. See, all of a sudden you'd be, you'd be looking at somebody in the huddle right now. You know what? You do your job. All right? Do your job. Speaking of. The uh, Patriots coming to town on Monday. This is something you have said many, many times when it comes to Bill Belichick, Wolf. Uh, and you played for him, just to remind everybody. The, um, the, the way he approaches these games is he looks and he's like, what do you do well? I'm going to take it away from you. And I had this thought driving over here today, and I don't mean this to sound as, as mean as it probably sounds. But when he's looking at the Cardinals... What do they do well yeah. that he's going to want to take away? Well, it's Kyler Murray. It is Kyler Murray. It's the talent of Kyler Murray. It is the promise of Kyler Murray. It is the talent of DeAndre Hopkins and the promise of DeAndre Hopkins. It is the talent of Hollywood Brown and the promise of Hollywood Brown. They've got guys that are really, really talented. And you know what? Bill Belichick doesn't need to lather it on that DeAndre Hopkins is a great player. He doesn't need, yeah, he doesn't need to lather it on that Kyler Murray is an extremely talented quarterback. Doesn't need to do that. We all know that. Anyone who follows the game of football knows it. So that's what they've got to do. They've got to neutralize the ability of Kyler Murray to throw the ball to Hollywood Brown and D Hop. I can tell you. I don't know why specifically this week. Maybe it was doing the the interview with the Boston radio station yesterday. But I've really looked at you know just Boston papers and just how it, how they are approaching this game. What the perception is of this game going. And we're going to talk to uh, Scott Zolak, the uh, the Patriots color analyst, and we're going to talk to Mike Reese later on in the show too. So we're going to get that New England perspective. But I can tell you what the fan base is thinking. What they're talking about in Boston is they're worried the Cardinals are either going to be able to run on the Patriots with Kyler Murray or they're going to be able to throw downfield. And I hear it, Wolf, and I'm like, yeah, that's what you should be worried about. 
But the Cardinals don't throw downfield this year, and Kyler Murray hasn't run as much this year. Yeah, they really haven't. And by the way, um, the Patriots' defense, really, they don't allow a whole lot of that. Okay, it's not what they do. This defense is completely legit. Number nine in passing yards per game allowed, and number six in passing yards per play allowed. That is such a big metric right there, Basin Passing yards per play, man. They don't allow big plays, and that is that is a hallmark. That is a calling card of Bill Belichick in a Bill Belichick defense. They just don't give up big plays. That is that is what hurts a team. It don't don't beat yourself, and that's Bill Belichick once again. Chunk man. plays. Don't Can't give up the chunk plays. Don't give up the chunk plays. Keep everything in front of you for the most part, and that's what the Patriots do, man. Unfortunately, too, the Cardinals, it almost feels like have done that to themselves this year because, again, look at it from the opposing team's perspective, what you just said. We don't want to give up the chunk play. It doesn't even feel like the Cardinals have tried for the chunk play this season. Yeah. I know it's not that cut and dry. I know there's there's they, there's reasons they don't feel like they can or they don't have the time or whatever, but it, that, it goes back to what you were saying earlier this week, Wolf, of like, I, I, I want to see this offense look a little different and try some stuff. Yeah. And it would be nice to see a couple chunk plays from the Cardinals offense this week and in the, the coming five weeks. Yeah, no, you're right about that. But once again, this is what the Patriots do well. They rush the passer base underneath. They get after you, man. Number three in sacks and number three in sacks per attempt. Okay, so they get after you and then they turn you over. Number four with the interception rate. Number four in the National Football League, man. These are elite numbers right here that I'm giving you. You're top five in any major metric. That's elite. And they are elite at getting after your quarterback. And they are elite turning you over. Picking your quarterback off. Um, This is going to be the game within the game right here. This is going to be it. Can the Arizona Cardinals put Kyler Murray in an offense? Whether you're getting the ball out quickly, whether it's the quick game, um, whether it's a running game, whatever it is, whether you're running Kyler Murray, whatever plays you're calling, can you do it consistently enough to beat the Patriots and keep Kyler Murray upright? Keep That's the question. Kyler Murray away from Matthew Judon in his 13 sacks. What a path for him, by the way, out of Grand Valley State. When you're one Matthew Judon. Yeah, when you're one of the best defensive players in the league— and I don't even know where your college is located, that's an interesting path to get to where you are. It really is, and it's a credit to him. What's interesting about Matthew Judon when you watch him on tape, it's not like he's explosive. He's, he's, He's not explosive. This guy is a bull without horns. That's what he is. He's a bull. And on the field, he's a bully. This guy sets the edge. We talk about the edge and setting the edge and playing the run. This guy not only sets the edge, he is the edge. He gets off of that edge and makes place. He's so powerful. He's so thick. His bull is excellent. It's how he beats an awful lot of players. He's going to bull you. That is his baseline right there. He's not a guy that's going, oh, yeah, I'm going to get the edge. Like Max Crosby, he's not that guy. Or he's not Uche. You take a look at Uche, the other edge yeah, it helps to have him for the too. Patriots right here. He's the guy who's going to get the edge. He's going to get around that. Um, not you, Don. He's going to beat you and brutalize you. 
at the point of attack and then just push you into your quarterback. Which is kind of mean, if you think about it. To the tune of 25 and a half sacks over the last season and a half, too. So there have not been many more successful pass rushers in the entire NFL than Matthew Judon over the last year and a half. You know, what's interesting about it, too, when Bill Belichick signed him in the offseason to the contract of $54 million, I believe, man, people were losing their mind because Matthew Judon was not that established. But see, yeah, that's he was like decent on exactly, Baltimore, right? Exactly he was right. Yeah. He's decent. And um, not to Bill Belichick, once again, the tape, the tape, the tape. He saw something in that that he likes, and Judon is rewarding him. Uh, all week this week, listen for the Pantera call-out on this show. Once you hear Wolf do the call-out, call 602-260-9870 for your chance to win tickets to see Metallica with Pantera at State Farm Stadium on September 1st. We haven't done it yet today, so keep listening for that because it's real simple. Wolf's going to throw out a number, and if you are that caller number, you get to go see Metallica with Pantera at State Farm Stadium on September 1st. It's not real complicated. All right, we come back. How are the Suns going to respond tonight against the Pelicans? That might be complicated. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Welcome back. We got Suns Pelicans tonight. We got Suns Pelicans on Sunday. We're kind of a strange weekend here, Wolf, because you don't have Cardinals football on Sunday. You got it on Monday. But you do have the Suns playing a pretty big game on Sunday afternoon when the Cardinals would typically be playing at 1.30. You have the Suns playing tonight against the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm fascinated by this matchup. I've been, um, look, I'm, I'm not saying this like the I'm the only person in on the Pelicans. I think most people are in on the Pelicans this year as being a really good team. They were a really good team last year. They know the Phoenix Suns, and they essentially added Zion Williamson this year from last year, and he is having a monster year. And when we had Kevin Ray on earlier in the show, he mentioned the fact this is just the fourth time the Suns will have ever seen Zion Williamson. He's played; he's only played the Suns three times. That's counting that, that playoff series last year. Yeah, and the one thing you can say about Zion Williamson, for the most part, he's thick. He is a thick dude, and he's a strong dude, and he plays a physical brand of basketball yeah. as well. Yeah. He and Valanchunas tonight, man, I'll tell you, um, this is exactly what the Phoenix Suns have got to overcome, the physicality issue. When you talk about what needs to be fixed for the Phoenix Suns, I think you start there. That's where I'm starting. Yeah, this physicality. Is, this is a tough matchup for a few reasons, but that one specifically, that's kind of been out there for debate these last couple games, especially the Boston game. Did the Suns get pushed around? I mean, they were down by 45. I think anytime you lose by by as much as they lost by, especially when you're down by that much at one point, you probably got pushed around. Boston pushes a lot of teams around. Well, New Orleans is, you know, they're either the, the perfect team to play when you're trying to reestablish your physicality or they're the worst team to play because Zion is physical and he's huge. Like you just said, Valanchunas, physical and huge. They're, they're just a physical team in general. It's not even their, their bigs that are, that are physical. So you're either going to get right tonight and Sunday against them. You're going to figure some things out. This is, you know, this is a, a, to me, an opportunity this week now to look and say, okay, the last two games were bad. Like almost like, is there a crack in the foundation? It's this great looking house. And if, as long as everything's fine, everything's fantastic. But if things slip just the wrong way, 
you just you're done. You're done in a game in the second quarter. So if there's any sort of truth to that, physicality I think is a major part of it. And you're going to have to go through this team twice in the next 48 hours. See, that is the thing about it right now. You know, when um, when I think of what happened against the Mavericks, of course, in the last game they played, and then the Celtics, of course, um, those two games right there to me, physicality, physicality, physicality. That was the difference. That's what put them on a path to destruction if you will. And that's why I'm so fascinated in regard to what we're going to see. Doesn't it just figure if in fact that is the case to your point, do you think we're going to find out if in fact the Suns can be as physical as they need to be over the next two games, not one, but two games. Yeah, if it was just tonight, and then you the were, same. yeah, then it would be a little bit different. Like, okay, Come let's on, see what man. happens tonight. You, it, you have this unique situation now where we're going to see how are the Suns responding to what happened in the last two games. But then on Sunday, you're going to see how do both of these teams respond to what happened tonight. It's like this odd little, like almost like playoff type scenario in the middle of the season where you know Willie Green and you know the Pelicans know the Suns. They just played in the first round last yes. year. If Chris Paul yes. doesn't go off in that series, they are probably done in the first round looking back. But he did go off. And they beat the Pelicans, and yet here you are now. You know New Orleans knows you very well, and it's going to be how did the Suns respond tonight, and then how does whoever lost tonight respond on Sunday? Yeah, no Brandon Ingram. Now that's going to be a big deal right there. The Pelicans, of course, because you know how good he was against the Suns in that playoff series. But you know what? That playoff series, I'm glad you brought that up last year because even though the Suns won that, of course, won that series, we know how physical that was. That's where all of this started, if you ask me. Willie Green, do you think Willie Green knows the Phoenix Suns well? Say yes, of course, I asked rhetorically. Because um Willie Green knows them intimately in terms of what may actually give them problems, what bothers them. Be physical. And that's where the Pelicans, they came out in that series, and they were physical with the Suns. And the Suns had a hard road to go. Now, they won the series, but it was a tough series, as we all know. Yeah, looking back, you know, how many different theories have we tried to come up with for what happened in in, in that Dallas series? But I do wonder, even if it was only 5% of the equation, how much of it was, okay, you beat New Orleans, but it took a lot out of you. Like, you know how there's those teams around the NFL? Yeah, okay, remember the Ravens for a while. It was like, okay, you went, you played the Ravens, and you're going to, it's going to show up next week with whoever you're playing because the Ravens just beat you up so much, win or lose. You know, the the Suns went out there, and and all the credit in the world, that was a highly entertaining series. It was a stressful series by the end of it. Chris Paul, a ton of credit, too, because he was the guy leading the charge. They beat New Orleans, but you're right. That's kind of where this has all started. They didn't look right after a couple games against Dallas. And their record's fantastic this year. But there are moments where it's like, is there a crack here somewhere? Yeah, I think, honestly, that's where the crack started. I think that's where word is spreading in the NBA. This is what you do. You be more physical than the Phoenix Suns. That's how you're going to beat them. Be more physical than they are. Challenge them. And... Again, I think of Jose Alvarado. <laughs> Here's a guy that, remember that series. And they had to deal and, with him and Luca in back to back series. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. No wonder we're all but on edge. Just remember how physical he was on Chris Paul, right? Yeah. In particular, Jose Alvarado. And, I, and I, I think that's where 
this little kernel was planted. And I think over the last couple of weeks, we're starting to see maybe um, a philosophy form as to how you play the Phoenix Suns and beat the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I'm, I'm especially interested, though, on top of all of that, and that's the context here, which makes this such a compelling weekend for the Suns. How did the Suns just respond to what happened this week? If they were coming into this, if they had just, you know, you beat Dallas, but you lose a close game to Boston or whatever, we're not even looking back at this week at that point. It's just, okay, a couple regular season games. All the talk is on this New Orleans matchup. But now you have this New Orleans matchup on top of the fact that the Phoenix Suns, who have proven a lot over the last two years, probably feel like they have a little bit to prove. Just, okay, no, we're fine, right? We're, this was a, a horrible week of basketball. Here's Devin Booker. I mean, today makes two in a row, so, you know, it's just a, it's a different energy. Um, you know, we understand we have to fix some and we have to handle business. So, um, you know, we have a long flight to New Orleans tomorrow. Um, we have time to regroup and think about it. And, you know, it feels like that game should count for two losses, but, you know, good thing it's only still one. But, you know, I feel like we're at the meat of our schedule. We have some pretty good matchups still coming up, and, you know, we have to be ready to go. I have to be ready to go, man. And it's not necessarily just the scheme. It's not scheme. It's not scheme. It's how you execute that scheme. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the more and more you look at it, the more and more it's about the player and not the play. It, it feels, I said this to K Ray when he was on earlier, but I'll go deeper into it here. Doesn't it sort of feel like a crossroads in this season, 25 games in? And, and I'll reiterate this. I think the Suns will ultimately be fine. I think if you're trying to win a title, there are moments like this in the regular season where you get better, right? This is certainly an opportunity, if you want to look at a glass half full, to get better. I'd rather have Dallas and Boston expose whatever they exposed on December 5th and 7th than at the end of March or in April. Great point. So now you have this chance. Are you going to, you know, if you go, if you go out and beat New Orleans tonight and Sunday, we're going to come in here on Monday and be like, okay, the Suns, whatever that was, they, they figured it out. Maybe Dallas is still a separate thing, but they're okay. They're back. Uh, but if they go out there and get like swept by New Orleans, you're going down this different path here for a while where you're trending towards like fourth or fifth in the conference. And I'm not saying you can't get back yeah. to first or second, but it is a longer path to get back. Whereas if you just go through New Orleans tonight and Sunday, you're back. Yeah. You know, for me, um, I think of tonight and how important tonight's game truly is uh, for the very reason you're saying right now. Because if, in fact, the Pelicans come out and they're physical against the Phoenix Suns and they win the game because of all that physicality, um, do you think they're going to do it again on Sunday? Yeah, they're going to double down on it. I think they would double down on that. This is a watershed two-game series, if you will, a (laughs) watershed moment for the Suns early in a season right now that may give them a clear path of delineation where they need to go. Exactly. exactly. You're going to get some more clarity, hopefully, by the end of this weekend because flip it around and look at it from the Pelicans' perspective. Yes, Willie Green knows your team. And also, they're playing the team that took them out in the playoffs last year. So don't think New Orleans is just going to kind of be like, oh, yeah, we got a game tonight. Yeah, no, they're going to be especially dialed in. You're 100% right. If we if we come in here on Monday and the Suns lost two games because they got pushed around by New Orleans, I'm not saying it's going to be panic time, but it's going to be <laughs> there is a clear here's what needs to be fixed. And sure. that's not the easiest thing in the world to fix midseason. 
So yeah, as far as regular season go, games go, this is this is a pretty uh, it's a pretty big set right here. This is um, this is James Jones on with Burns and Gambo earlier this week talking about uh, big time matchups like this. You need these games. I don't I don't think you can play low level games all year long and think you'll be ready for the playoffs. So when people say like you just have to be ready for the playoffs and just get to the playoffs, you need you need some tests along the way. You know, you need really high level games. Um, you need you need to you need to be you know put out in front and, and, and challenged. And so I think tonight will be that for us. And I'm hopeful in front of our home crowd um, with a day off in between that we can come out and perform well. I just think that's so spot on when you talk about if you're going to be a championship contender, using the regular season to get better and you get set for the playoffs. These are the sort of games that make you better, not you know beating Detroit in November or you know playing Atlanta. But it's fine; those are games, but. This matchup right here against the team that you had to barely knock out of the playoffs last year that is much better this year than they were last year. You know, just honestly as well, um, when we talk about physicality, there's one guy we all think of. I, there, there's one guy we all think of. I was of. trying not to say his name for all I know, the, the tone setter for the Phoenix Suns, and I don't say that facetiously. The tone setter for the Phoenix Suns. Man, do I want to see DeAndre Ayton go out and set the tone for the Suns tonight. I want to see that. Well, he's going to set the tone one way or the other. If he has one of those 29 and 21 games like he had a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, who's going to be the key on Monday Night Football between the Cardinals and the Patriots? We'll tell you next. We'll play around to Fulcrum Football. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Wolf and Luke. Alert, alert, alert. Presented by 72 Souls. 51, 51, let's go. Let's go, here we go. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona's sports. It's part of the NFL. It's not easy. It's not easy to win in the NFL. Everybody want to win. Who or what is the tipping point? That's going to be key to our success. This is Fulcrum Football with Wolf and Luke. All right, week 14 edition of Fulcrum Football as the Cardinals get set to take on the New England Patriots on Monday night. Wolf, this is a simple game, right? We're just going to pick the players, go back and forth, draft style players that are most likely to swing this game for better or for worse for either team. Quarterbacks typically frowned upon, but uh, not it's not illegal to draft a quarterback. Indeed, Luke. Oh. Oh, look, you won. Oh, here we go. Okay, um... My first fulcrum football player has got to be J.J. Watt. That's right, J.J. Watt right now. Um, The New England Patriots, I think, are going to line up and they're going to attack the box. They're going to attack the line of scrimmage. They're going to run the ball in between the tackles and they're going to do it with Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, Ramondre Stevenson. A guy that's six foot, two hundred and forty pounds. A guy that runs the ball in a very, very physical way, and not only runs the ball, but also catches the ball coming out of the backfield. I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to get twenty-five carries at least in this game, unless the Arizona Cardinals can get a lead, get out in front. Where suddenly in the second half, Mac Jones is going to have to throw the ball. That would be fantastic if that is the case. But I see this being a very, very close game. And if it's a close game, Ramondre Stevenson is going to get the ball 25 times at least. 
That means J.J. Watt and company. That box has got to be stout. And J.J. Watt to me is the tip of the spear. J.J. Watt is my first Fulcrum football player. All right, well, you just made it, so I'm going to change my first pick, and I'm going to take from Andre Stevenson for all the reasons. Yeah, I don't know it. <laughs> I feel like especially fired up after that. Look, I agree with uh, with with what you're saying in the sense that the Patriots' offense right now most likely runs through Ramondre Stevenson when they're going to have success. Let's make no mistake: the Patriots' offense this season has not been consistent at all. Like it looked good against the Vikings on Thanksgiving, and I think that's when a lot of us saw them and we're like, "Oh, what are the Patriots fans are complaining about this offense? It looks fine." The only really consistent piece they've had on offense this year has been Ramondre Stevenson. So I feel like this is a game that the Cardinals could win with their defense, but they're going to have to stop him. I don't even have to make the case for him, Wolf, because you just made the case for him when you drafted somebody else. Okay, good, Luke. Um, Okay, my second fulcrum football player has got to be Josh Jones. I like big foot and I cannot lie. Stop it! I thought you only played that when I picked Billy Price. Don't worry about it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, No, that is Josh Jones right now. Why do I say Josh Jones? Because you would imagine at some point in time, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals are going to throw the ball. And in particular, hopefully... They're going to throw the ball downfield. That's going to take a little bit of protection. Well, guess what? The New England Patriots, their defense, the one thing they do really, really well, and they do a lot of things well defensively, is they get after a quarterback. They get after a quarterback, number three in sacks per attempt, number three in just sacks, period, in the National Football League. They're going to get after your quarterback and try to turn your quarterback over with the likes of Matthew Judon, power rusher, bull rusher, and then Josh Uche. Say Uche. It's just it's fun to say Uche. Um, Josh Uche, who's more of a burst, get around the edge. Get up the field speed guy. Hey, Josh Jones, who are they going to put over you? And how are you going to play? He's my second fulcrum football player. What's the record for most guys named Jones in one game? Because you've got Josh Jones on the Cardinals, and then the Patriots have Mac Jones, Jonathan Jones, Jack Jones, and Marcus Jones. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun for Dave Pash on uh, How many on Smiths are there? I don't see any Smiths. Okay, in interesting. Uh, Alright, my second pick, I'm going to go with the heart of this defense and really this team, as we have seen reiterated this year. I'll go with Buda Baker. I've told you everything I know. Buddha, look, you could take him every week in this game. I get that, Wolf. But I think especially right now, five games left, you know you're not making the playoffs. And I hear what you say that each guy should be individually motivated for either the same reasons or different reasons, whatever. They, they should still be specifically motivated. But I think if you're going to if you're gonna galvanize your team, I think certain players will step up in leadership roles in the locker room in a situation like this where you're out of it and Buda Baker's at the top of the list. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that. Um, okay, my third fulcrum football player is Zayvon Collins. Let's go! Come on, let's go! Zayvon is right because here comes Ramondre Stevenson. Here he comes. This is a big back. And if there's one guy that is uniquely designed and manufactured and cut out to take on Ramondre Stevenson, 
It's Zayvon Collins at 260 pounds. A Mike linebacker at 260. It's time to bring the wood out, Zayvon. It's time to bring the wood face-to-face against a worthy opponent and Ramondre Stevenson. Here it comes. Yeah, Zayvon Collins is my third fulcrum football player. I really want to break the unwritten rule and go with uh, with a quarterback here because I feel like this is the sort of game where the it is it should be lower scoring. It's the short, sort of game Kyler Murray should just be able to win for you because he should be that much better than Mac Jones. But I'm not going to do it, Wolf. Instead, I'm going to go with the guy he's going to have to deal with the most this game most likely. I'll go with Matthew Judon. Oh. Today's Friday. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, he's not wrong. Yes, it is. Uh, Matthew Judon, number two in the NFL with 13 sacks right now behind only Nick Bosa's 14 and a half and one ahead of Micah Parsons, who does everything for Dallas. We already talked about Matthew Judon earlier in the show, Wolf, how the Patriots, specifically Bill Belichick, saw something when he was a decent player for the Ravens, and now he's one of the most feared pass rushers in the NFL. If they can somehow neutralize him and give Kyler Murray time and, and make him come comfortable and give him a situation, put him in a situation where he can win this game. I do think this is the sort of game Kyler Murray should be able to win for you. It's really cool to watch it on tape, man. Josh Uche, of course, and Matthew Judon. Um, because of how different they are. They get it done, but they do it completely differently in different techniques and different ways. It's very cool to see, but I'm going to go for my fourth Fulcrum football player, DeAndre Hopkins. Here we go, baby. Here we go. They're going to play an awful lot of cover, too, I would imagine. Here it comes. They're going to play some man as well. But two safeties deep over the top. This is one of these one of those games where I see DeAndre Hopkins running a lot of fades down the sideline. And Kyler Murray throwing the ball up and throwing it down the field. This is a classic 50-50 ball situation, I think, in a 50-50 ball game for the Arizona Cardinals against the Patriots. And because of that, we need 80-20 out of DeAndre Hopkins. We need the 80-20 rule where 50-50 balls are more like 80-20. DeAndre Hopkins is my fourth fulcrum football player. This would be a good week for the better catch by eye from DeAndre Hopkins is what you're saying. All right, Wolf, I'm going to take a guy here. I usually take, I don't think I've I've taken him in a few weeks, but I'm going to go with Isaiah Simmons. Sounds good. Look forward to it, Ron. (laughs) Isaiah Simmons. Think about the last game Isaiah Simmons played, okay? That huge just sack right up the middle where he just ran right over Justin Herbert, and you're thinking, okay, the Cardinals should have this game wrapped up, and then they did nothing on offense, and it was Isaiah Simmons that was left watching on that two-point conversion, and it was Isaiah Simmons, I think this is a tough play, that uh, was right there when Eckler got in for the touchdown anyway. This, again, I think this is a lower-scoring, closer game on Monday night, and you need a game-changer, and Isaiah Simmons has consistently been... He's consistently been inconsistent in some areas, but he's consistently been a game changer for this defense. All right, so you went J.J. Watt, Josh Jones, uh, Zayvon Collins, and DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. I went Ramondre Stevenson, Buda Baker, Matthew Judon, and Isaiah Simmons. There we go. Interesting. Fulcrum football here on this Friday afternoon, almost heading into uh, heading into week 14 of the season. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, are heading to State Farm Stadium on May 14th with the Strokes. Tickets are now on sale but you can win a pair of tickets now by heading to the contest page on ArizonaSports.com. 
we come back, all right, is uh, is baseball maybe a, uh, a warning sign of how bad things could become for college football? The commissioner actually seems to think so. We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Are you talking to me? That is the Pantera call-out. You got a caller number for me here? Oh, as a matter of fact, you know what? Honestly, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to throw the caller out there. So we'll go caller number four. How about that, all right? Caller number four at 602-260-9870 right now. Four for the number of uh, of uh, Major League Baseball teams that have enough money to compete for the World Series each year. You know, honestly, that's that's why I picked that number right there. It seems like there are four or five that legitimately have a shot at winning the World Series. And everyone else is just there to play with them. If you call in at 602-260-9870, if you are caller number four right now, you're getting tickets to see Metallica with Pantera September 1st at State Farm Stadium. All right, Wolf, the call-out, in, in addition to giving away some pretty amazing tickets, is the topic here because we have talked quite a bit about NILs and the combination with the transfer portal and where we could see this going. And you have been on this ahead of, I mean, a couple years ago, you were talking about how this could all lead to the ruination of college football. And you are seeing it more and more. We've talked about it from the college football angle quite a bit this week. Let's talk about it from the Major League Baseball side of things, because isn't this kind of where this could all be heading? I, You know what? Go ahead. And for the people that may not have heard our conversation in regard to college football, why do you, why do you make the connection of the NIL and the transfer portal? Why do you make the connection with what we're seeing in Major League Baseball? So it is a little more nuanced than this. And we had Lorenzo Alexander in here yesterday, and I thought he did bring a different, interesting perspective on it. But I'll give you essentially what our show's perspective has been on it of when you combine the NIL with the transfer portal in college football, you essentially have everybody being a free agent every offseason. And what that can lead to is the teams with the most money, whatever that number is in college football, 20, 25 teams, whatever, you're basically making the other programs a feeder system into those 20 or 25 teams. <laughs> hey, ding, 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 you, ding. you go find this diamond in the rough. You develop him, and then when he gets good, we'll come offer him more money, and then we'll just take him. Yes. That's essentially what college football seems to be heading towards. Okay, so I'm going to ask you right now, do you have the sound on Rob Manfred? Do we actually have that sound? We do not. I can okay, read that's it, though. Great. I can so read it in Rob Manfred's like voice if you want. That, no, that, <laughs> that'd be fantastic right there. Why don't you do that? Because what Rob Manfred said, you want to talk about honesty? Complete, unadulterated honesty coming from your commissioner of a game of baseball. Um, when you listen to what uh, Luke is about to read to you, Basinonians, right now, 
The only thing I want you to realize is when you hear Rob Manford is this is going to create the biggest work stoppage in the history of Major League Baseball. That, that is the overriding thought that I have based on reading these Rob Manfred quotes. I don't know Rob Manfred's voice well enough to do an impression, so I'm just going to want me to read oh, the free agent market. You want me to do yeah, it like that? No, no, no it? Okay. I just read it. The free agent market's going to be what it is, right? It's a product of a whole lot of economic forces, individual decisions by clubs as far as what they want to do. On the positive side, a week in December where there's a ton of focus on players and where they're going to be for baseball is a good thing in terms of marketing the game. Okay, okay, just stop right there. That's not even the important part. (laughs) No, no, That's the setup. That is the setup right there. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's all about, yay, let's market the game. Let's, this is great. This is the positive side of this. There's a positive side to every coin, and there's a negative side to every coin, isn't there? There's a positive and a negative. Of course, it's the natural way of life. This is, this is great. The positive is, wow. This is great, man. We're marketing the game. This is awesome. All of this free agency, the, the, the free agent contracts that are being signed out there. This is huge money. Isn't that right, Aaron Judge? Yes. There are massive contracts that are flying around out there in free agency, and that's great. I love that for the players. But there's a negative side to that. Oh, here's the negative. This is more from Rob Manfred. On the downside, I think everyone understands we have a level of revenue disparity in the sport that makes it impossible for some of our markets to compete at some of the numbers we've seen. Just like anything else in life, there's good and bad, unquote. That's the commissioner of the sport essentially saying, yeah, some teams in our league can't compete and they'll never be able to think about that because of the the revenue disparity. That is the commissioner of the league actually saying that. And I realize he represents owners. Of course he does. But he also represents the game and what is the best interest of the game. And, yes, he represents owners. I want to continue to say that, and I understand it. It, But this is something that has got to be a partnership between owners and, of course, the Players Association. And that has been a very contentious point of interest over the decades, hasn't it? What a mess it truly has been, at least in the past. These guys can't agree to anything. And yet, what Rob Manford is saying is so truth, you just don't typically see or hear a lot about it. The fact that it's impossible for some of our markets to compete You, well, I'm so you know I can't it, wait to watch. You know what it reminds me of? Huh. It reminds me of minor league teams, of course. Minor league systems and the minor league team, especially in the game of baseball. You, you've you got prospects on these single-A teams, of course. you got prospects, double-A. You've got guys that are going to be in the bigs at some point in time. And then you got everyone else that is there just to throw the ball with them. Yeah, we just basically to play baseball. Are we just here them. to fill out the Dodgers schedule. Exactly, is that, is that, exactly is that really right. Is. is that something you can look at and say, does that apply to the game of baseball right now? Yes, it does. Are there exceptions? 
yes, there are always going to be exceptions. There's no doubt about it. The Tampa Bay Rays. Are you kidding me? There's always going to be exceptions. Smaller market teams that don't have this huge revenue, of course, yet they are competitive. There's always going to be that. But it's not the rule. It's the exception. And you've got Rob Manfred saying it's impossible, is the word he picked, impossible for some of these markets to compete. Man, is that good for the league? Is this good for the league, the the health overall of baseball, if in fact this is the way that it is? I think the important thing in all that is, yeah, there are exceptions because I've heard, I mean, this has been a debate for years. I mean, even when I first got into radio, I remember having this debate in college with, with my co-host in college and, you know, the pushback was always, Hey, look, like you just said, there are exceptions. Look at the, look at the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. That's great. But you can't tell me that I don't know what the exact number is, but let's say 20 of the teams don't always have a harder time than the other 10 teams. Just look at the D-backs and the Dodgers. Is it impossible for the Diamondbacks to win the World Series? No, they won it. They also spend a lot of money when they yeah, won it, by the way. that's true. But let's just say that Mike Hazen has these, he's, he's making good picks, he's developing these players, he's making the right moves, and in a couple years the D-backs are competitive and they even win a World Series. It's so much more difficult, their path, than the Dodgers, who can go out there and throw a bunch of money at a guy like Trevor Bauer. Yeah. And that's a weird circumstance. And so they're done with him and they go out and get Max Scherzer to replace him. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It, it's not even Next. remotely even. And if they have to do it again, they will do it again. And it's not just the Dodgers. This is not a Dodgers thing. But you have given certain teams a much easier path to the trophy. And even if a team, a smaller market team, does sneak in and win it, they're not going to win multiples. They're going to get in there once yeah. and then have to disband the team. Yeah, you know, I just honestly right now, um, there's a couple of things that I want to get out here. Number one, if you're a season ticket holder, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about your commissioner of baseball coming out saying it's impossible for some of these markets to compete? <laughs> yeah. How does that make you feel? Even when you've got a young team like the Diamondbacks. I look at the Diamondbacks. I'm so excited for this season coming up with the Diamondbacks because of these young guys that flashed. They flashed last year at the end of last year to me. I would also say this might be one of those unique exceptions because of Mike Hazen. He might be able to put it together he on a might smaller be. payroll. He might be able to do it, yes. But once again... um, it's the rule that I'm interested about, not the exception. I, it's the rule that I'm interested about. And once again, the rule is if you don't have the money, you're not going to be able to compete. You're not going to be able to do it consistently. The margins for the Dodgers are wide. Their margin of, of, of error is huge. And it's just not the case for any other team that is out there. And that, to me, is just flat-out wrong. And I'm wondering, when do the players when do the players see that and recognize the fact that this competitive imbalance is bad for the game? When do they recognize that and do something about it? At what point? You're going to run it into the ground because you refuse to be a partnership with the owners in baseball? You refuse to forge that partnership? You're going to run it into the ground? I, they got to do something the, about the, it, man. The other part of this that we didn't even really get to get into, it's another debate for another day, but uh, what constitutes small market? 
Because I think a lot of people would look and say, oh, the Padres, okay, Lennon Brown spent $280 million and they spent all this money last year. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're not a small market team. But like, oh, yeah, the Diamondbacks, that's a small market team. Does this feel like a small market to you? There's no. 6 million people and you're stuck in traffic everywhere you go. That's not a small market. But to your point right there, um, that's what we're talking about right now. It's a mid-market. It is. And yet at the same time, can they compete? <laughs> can they do it with the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees? No. But just don't tell me it's because we're a small city. <laughs> a huge city. Coming up next, we're going to take you through the top stories of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.